big night for hockey up in Edmonton with Steven Stamkos' storybook return for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But let's not pretend for one second that that was the hockey story of the day in Pittsburgh. Or was there even a hockey story? of the day in Pittsburgh. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. Before I get to the story versus non-story, Stamkos came back after not having played any games since February, and he goes out there and scores just a gorgeous shorthanded goal coming down the right side and just blistering a shot into the top left corner a la Steve Eiserman. That's what it looked like to me. Very, very Stevie Y type of shot. Bolts go on to win 5-2, to two, take a two games to one series lead over the Dallas Stars in the Stanley Cup final. And I'm sure that everywhere else in the hockey world, at least the parts that are still paying attention with the NHL having fled the country and then tacitly banned reporters from going up there. And yes, I will take every single opportunity to mention that. The way bigger deal in Pittsburgh was that the Penguins and the Panthers have clearly agreed to a trade of Patrick Hornquist to Florida for defenseman Mike Matheson. There are things holding it up. There's insurance issues. Uh, There are things that relate to informing Hornquist, who's presumably overseas. And then there were additional reports, and stuff like this swirls all over the place that the deal is over, it's done, and I don't mean done like in a good way, I mean like done like as in it's it's off, it's falling through, and then our site got some information late last night that it, this could still happen, uh, we expect that it still will, but it might not be with a snap of a finger. So I'm going to take it for where it is this morning meaning that there is an agreement in place and likely that there's going to be a trade and try to go at it from there. Uh, It's not going to be one of those deals. It never was going to be one of those deals that was going to excite people. There are a lot of people who don't understand trades uh, in the general fan population. doesn't mean that there aren't some who do. There definitely are. But there are also people that don't understand the importance of clearing out salary cap space, uh, longer-term commitments, financial commitments, especially the finance stuff. I think there's a gross misperception among a lot of people that it's a lot like just you know trading cards or s- swapping players in a video game where you just go by player value. And it, it's not anything like that. Um, in, in the Penguins' case, in Jim Rutherford's case, he's made it abundantly clear again and again and again, that his top priority right now is making sure that he has cap space. He hasn't hid from that. He hasn't run from it. Uh, The Penguins are just 
slightly, slightly under the cap, but they still have other players to sign as restricted free agents. They have players that they want to keep here. And as a result, you're going to see Matt Murray moved. I think there's more reasons than one for that. Tristan Jari needs to have the net, and Murray isn't going to take particularly well to that sort of thing. It's not a great environment, and you have a better chance of getting something decent for Murray now than in all likelihood after next year when he's closer to true free agency. So, so here's Patrick Hornquist, who's making uh, what's known as AAV, average annual value of his contract. He's got three more years on it at $5.75 million. So he's basically a $6 million a year player that you would unquestionably be putting on your third line. I don't have a problem with that, but I can see where it's not necessarily the greatest distribution of a tight cap. I don't think that's what this was about, though, because if you look at Mike Matheson's contract, there's basically a $2 million a year savings on that, and Matheson's got an additional three years. He's got six years coming. He's going to be around for a long time if he comes to Pittsburgh. So your money and cap situation isn't really the reason to do this. So I'm going to take you through my process yesterday upon first hearing. And the way I always hear about stuff is in our group text with the staff. I see you know, our messages to each other. And we have different channels for different teams that we cover. And our Penguins channel, I see right away, uh, you know, looks like, you know, Hornquist traded. And all you see, you know, when you're glancing at it, if you're me, is you see Hornquist traded. My very first thought my very first thought was an offensive defenseman or a mobile defenseman is coming in return. Just like that, I thought of that. And then I, you know, scroll down a little bit and see that Mike Matheson's name comes up. And, of course, he fits that bill. For those of you who aren't familiar with Matheson, and that would be highly understandable considering that even Alexander Barkov doesn't get much attention playing in Sunrise, Florida. Matheson is... Very fast. Uh, he's 6'2", 181, so he has decent size, too. Has a mean streak to him for a guy who doesn't play physically on a regular basis. Like, occasionally, he will just see an opportunity to crush somebody, uh, including in a not-clean way. Ask Johnny Boychuk about that. For that matter, ask Marcus Pedersen, because he did it to Pedersen, too. And, and he'll go hunting. He'll go hunting upstairs. But the first thing that you notice with him is that he's really, really fast, and he has a really good finish for a defenseman. He can score. Uh, and he can score different ways. He can score in tight. He can score from the point. He can do different things. He's an offensive, mobile defenseman. There's a reason the Panthers signed him to the mega deal that they did. They saw him at the time of the contract, an eight-year deal. I mean, look, the Panthers aren't known for making all kinds of shrewd moves, and they go through coaches and GMs as much or more than anybody else in the league. But there's a reason that somebody thought to sign him for that period because he did make 
that kind of impact as a young player. And they said, well, all right, well, here's somebody that we really want to have in Sunrise and build the Panthers around. It hasn't worked out. He's prone to getting lost in his own end, kind of the way he was when he was drafted. That was the knock against him. He was a first-round pick. But coaches always think they can fix that. You know what I mean? They always think, ah, oh, we'll we'll teach him defensive discipline. We'll teach him from running around. And I'm sure if he comes to the Penguins, you're going to hear the exact same thing from Jim Rutherford and Mike Sullivan and everybody else that's involved, and they'll say, hey, we're going to give him to Todd Reardon, and he's going to be fine. Maybe he will. I'm just saying that that's, that's the, the mindset when it comes to defensive flaws. You always think they can be fixed if the player has the tools. This player absolutely has the tools. But he struggled defensively. Uh, he got himself in, in trouble, as I'd mentioned, with the, the running around a little bit, and he would take penalties and he he would take a pretty significant number of penalties even though again he wasn't punishing people so that means he was taking penalties that weren't of the smartest variety and his advanced statistics aren't going to be any good because if you're not sound defensively that's all going to get exposed on your Corsi and the other metrics that count and track Shots and shot attempts, shot suppression, possession. Maybe the Penguins can turn him into that. Maybe the Penguins can do what they did with Justin Schultz, kind of bring him along in a way where you rein him in first and then let him use his strengths as he gets more comfortable. That could happen. It Again, it could happen. But the reason that I thought right off the bat that this was going to be an offensive defenseman. And those of you who are regular listeners to the show will remember that I was telling a story a few days ago of having a conversation with Rutherford about the Dallas Stars. And this was when they were still kind of a little bit of a mystery to most people. Like, how are they doing this? How did they get to this point? Now, nobody really talked about them in the regular season. What's, what's the difference now? And Rutherford told me, just watch the back line. Watch what their defensemen are doing. Uh, John Klingberg, Miro Heiskanen, Asa Lindell. Jamie Alexiak's had a really good playoff. These guys are moving the puck. They're fast. They fly around. They don't get trapped in their own end. And then from there, they find a way to get the puck to the forward. So even though Dallas has a mostly older group, of forwards, certainly their main guys, like their quote-unquote star guys, are, are into their 30s. They don't look at all like a slow team because those defensemen are just flying around back there and making sure that Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan and Alexander Radulov and Joe Pavelski and everybody else who's up front is getting the puck, getting it quickly, and then move with it. You can make an average speed team look much faster just by having the puck move. How many times, uh, for those of you who have played or coached the sport, uh, have you heard at a hockey rink a coach say to the player, the puck moves faster than you can? It's true. It's true. 
The fastest play in hockey is the 70-foot breakout. I'm not suggesting Mike Matheson is that guy, but I'm also not suggesting he isn't. What I am getting at here is that I got the sense from a lot of the feedback yesterday that came to this trade, which I'll remind isn't complete yet, that people didn't understand what what Rutherford's thinking was with this. What's the motivation here? Uh, Why not just keep Hornquist? And until this happens and until we hear from Jim, we're not going to know concretely. But my suspicion is that you're going to hear from him, based on this dialogue he and I had, that he wants more speed on the back end. He's not going to bury Jack Johnson. I'm sure he'd still like to trade Jack Johnson. He's not going to say, well, Jack Johnson stinks, and now he's going to sit, and this guy's going to be an upgrade over that because he, unlike Jack, can move. He's not going to do that. He's not dumb. He's going to find a way to make sure he can try to get something for the asset. If not, um, they've got a strange setup on the blue line, and more is going to need to be done. There are reports out of Canada that the Penguins are also interested in Chris Tanev, uh, Brandon's brother, who plays in Vancouver. He was partnered with Quinn Hughes, the phenomenal young, small, and extremely mobile defenseman that the Canucks had who actually just kept getting better and better as the season went along, especially into the playoffs. Tanev was kind of like the steadying force of that pairing for Vancouver. So maybe he could, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but if he comes to Pittsburgh, he can be someone that you partner with Matheson and say, all right, Matheson, to some extent you can do your headless chicken thing because we got you this guy. But yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll stop with that part now, but I I do want to say this. If this winds up, and I believe that it's now inevitable that Patrick Hornquist will be traded, this isn't someone to discard lightly. Um, Don't think of him as the last couple of shifts you saw where maybe he didn't get on on the forecheck the way he used to. He's taken an unbelievable toll on his body that he's invited because of his style of play. Sidney Crosby called him a warrior. That's that's the best term you'll ever hear attached to him as it relates to sports. That's, that's about right. Uh, there's no battle that he wouldn't welcome. There's nothing he wouldn't do to try to score a goal. That's how you go from being the last overall pick in a draft to a two-time Stanley Cup champion to scoring one of the most momentous goals in the history of the Stanley Cup final. There aren't many that clinch like that dramatically through the century and change of the tournament. The city of Pittsburgh has won 16 major professional sports championships. Hornquist was part of one-eighth of those. Hornquist won one-sixteenth of those. He will always have a special place in our city's sports history. Um, And again, I I hope that in all the fun trade dissections and analysis and everything else that goes on, that that's remembered because, my goodness, try to picture the scope of the ovation 
that man will get if and when we ever get back to having fans inside arenas and stadiums when he returns to Pittsburgh. When I return to this program, some football. yesterday on the south side and the good news over there is that David DeCastro was a full participant. Yes, that had been anticipated, but it had been anticipated several times over the past two months that DeCastro was right around the corner, that he was going to be back, and then we'd show up to cover practice and there was no 66 out there. So his not just being out there, but his doing everything. Uh, means quite a bit to the Steelers' offense. And yes, I know Kevin Dotson did really well in his stead, but let's not pretend that Kevin Dotson in his second NFL game is going to be any kind of match for the All-Pro DeCastro. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, who yesterday made their major announcement, as we'd been talking about, through the course of this week of a campaign that they're calling Grow, Share, Thrive. I'm going to say it again because it's kind of a tongue twister. Grow, Share, Thrive. And the website for it is growsharethrive.org. And yes, I just pulled all of those off. The campaign is aimed at expanding more nutritious food to more families in more places throughout the Pittsburgh area. The Buncher Foundation has pledged half a million dollars to this cause. And the way this works is that for every $10 that you give to the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, to this particular drive, it unlocks an additional $5 from the Buncher Foundation to help even more children, families, seniors facing hunger, through this pandemic. That problem hasn't gone away. It still needs to be addressed. And as we head into the winter months, well, we've had enough doomsday stuff this year for me to be painting any kind of doomsday. Let's just say that they could they could definitely use the assistance. Again, the website is growsharethrive.org. And don't be confused, that's still part of the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Ben Roethlisberger's been tough on himself throughout these first couple of weeks. Um, not in a forced or phony-ish kind of way, the way we've heard in the past. And you know what I'm talking about, where Ben would go over the top. Remember when he threw the five picks against Jacksonville a couple of years ago and he stood there in front of all of us and said, uh, I stink, I'm the worst, I'm washed up and whatever else. And, and we were like, come on, man. Not like feeling sorry for him, but be real, you know. But he'll do that every once in a while. It's that part of that the drama gene that he has. It, this hasn't been that. This has been more of a thoughtful, introspective look at who he is at age 38. And man, have I admired it. Because what we're seeing on the field right now with Ben is a combination of 
him still daring to do things that he's done in the past, scrambling out of the pocket, uh, holding in there till the last second. And then you'll remember, you know, a couple times he's just put the ball under his arm and taken off. Uh, the 11-yarder in East Rutherford really stands out uh, in that regard. And how about the throw to Deontay Johnson on the touchdown? Now ben was, again, he, you know, cut himself down right away. And you know which play I'm talking about here. It's the one where he scrambled way to the right, kind of leaped up and fired across his own body to get it to Deontay cutting laterally across the end zone following Ben's direction. And Ben's like, I threw it behind him. It wasn't a very good pass. It was a great pass. Yeah, it was a little bit behind him, but you have two people running in the same direction and one of them throwing across his body and the other one has somebody chasing him. It's a great pass and a great catch and nothing less. But again, he also spoke about having to do different things with the way his feet are set, with the degree to which his arm is overhead versus three-quarters versus even sidearm or whatever, because he can't just let the arm do all of the work anymore. Listen to, listen to him yesterday on this topic. It's terrific. Well, I've gotten away um, with it in the past, being able to not necessarily be perfect from the ground up and just letting my arm kind of make up for a lot of things, um, a lot of imperfections uh, when if you talk to kind of quarterback people. Um, and, and whether it's the layoff, whether it's, um, the surgery, I guess I feel great. So I just need to get it in my mind that I can still make the throws when I'm not in perfect position to make them. Um, and maybe some of that comes with just, you know, not playing a lot of football. I mean, I've played two games this year. I played a game and a half last year. So really it's what three and a half games in two years, if you think about it. So, um, you know, it'll, it'll come. Uh, like I said, if, if we're having these, if I'm having these issues, and we're still winning football games, and that's a that's a plus. See what I mean? I mean, that's just that's good stuff. That is a an elite athlete, a first ballot Hall of Famer, who's looking at himself right now and saying, "These things that I used to do, I can still do them, but I've got to do it a little bit differently. I've got to adjust this, or I've got to adjust that." The example that we all cite in this city, and, and probably will forever, of an elite athlete adjusting to a later phase of their career is the obvious one when Mario Lemieux came back from his initial retirement. Mario just reinvented himself. He went from being the ultimate one-on-one player uh, and really more of a distributor than a shooter to just this total gunner, you know? I mean, he just parked himself... Uh, no, I was going to say left dot, left circle, but he would even go to the left edge of the goal line and just fire because he could do it like nobody else. And that was what he had adjusted all of his regiment to. He even dropped the wooden stick. Remember that? Oh, he Nobody ever thought he would drop the wooden stick. He's like the last guy in the league using a wooden stick because he's like, oh, I have to have the feel of the puck, feel of the puck. And you don't have the same thing with those composites. But then he saw how you could shoot the puck with a composites, and he's like, see you, wooden stick. Ben is, he's starting to accept some of that 
and not in a grudging way. That's the best part of it. You'll see athletes who resist, who say, you know, I can still do this because I'm me and I've always been able to do this my whole life. All I have to do is train harder and I'm going to... No, no. You know, as they say, Father Time's undefeated. At one point in his career, Michael Jordan, when he went to Washington, just started shooting jumpers. I mean, he was better at it than anybody else. But he realized he wasn't just going to be able to go slicing and dicing through everybody and, you know, doing these dramatic, uh, you know, dribbles between his own legs and then fading back and, and letting one go. He shot jumpers. That's what worked for him at that age. So he kept going with what works and then worked harder at what works. I don't think you're going to see Ben become a dramatically different quarterback. That's not my point here at all. My point is, is that Ben is working with what he has, and he's doing it in a humble way. He's doing it in a way that he's not going to be stubborn about it. He's not just going to keep eyes forward and pretending that it's still 2004 and he can be hashtag Ben being Ben on every other play. And I admire that. I'm telling you, I think it's going to, A, help him prolong his career, but B, keep him healthier. You know, if he's not running himself into trouble, if he's not running his arm into trouble, there's a better chance that he's going to make an impact for the Steelers for a significant period of time. When we come back... The day after picking my Pirates MVP, I've got my Pirates Pitcher of the Year. And yes, I have pulled this off. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org. Welcome back. Baseball is promised. The Pirates beat the Cubs 2-1 last night at PNC Park. Early home runs by Adam Frazier. Ricky Brian Hayes offset an earlier home run by Anthony Rizzo off Trevor Williams, who actually ended up pitching pretty well on the night. I'll get to my game's star and actually season's star in just a moment. This segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp and medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. They've been doing that in our region for 80 years. LGKG has been AV rated, which is the highest rating a law firm can receive for legal ability and ethics. And the lawyers at the firm have been designated as super lawyers. That's an actual thing, super lawyers for over 15 years. That is a rare combination. You can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. The Pirates' victory was closed out 
by Richard Rodriguez, who very, very quietly just became the team's closer. And you know, I know there's a lot of Maytag repairman in that job. It was just his fourth save. But the fact is, Rodriguez has now made 11 consecutive scoreless appearances. For the year, he's got a 2.70 ERA. And if you're one of those people like me who don't believe in reliever ERAs, he's got a 0.86 whip, which stands for walks and hits per inning pitched. That one carries a lot of weight, if not number one weight for me with relievers. Because plain and simple, if you you aren't putting people on base, you're a good reliever. And 0.86 is an outstanding whip figure. He's also struck out 34 guys and walked only five. Outstanding ratio. Now, when you think of Richard Rodriguez, I guarantee you're thinking about a couple of late bombs that he gave up along the way, particularly the ones in Milwaukee that really jump out at you. That's the nature of relief pitching. Everyone remembers your last bad outing. You know, it's like an offensive lineman in football. No one notices anything you do until your quarterback's on his back. Richard Rodriguez had a, a rough start uh, overall, not through any kind of fluke or anything else. He couldn't do anything right. All of his pitches were up in the zone. And they were getting clobbered. And a lot of that happened to him in 2019, too, you'll recall. And the Pirates actually sent him down to the minors and then brought him back up. And Clint Hurdle had a good talk with him, told him how much they believed in him. And after that, everything was just, like, fine. He's a he's a sensitive sort. Uh, I don't mean to make him sound weak in any way, shape, or form, but he's emotional. You, you don't see that too often on the field, although he did get pretty demonstrative, demonstrative after the save last night. But he's been the Pirates' best pitcher. That's what I'm here to say. Uh, I spoke here earlier in the week about the real difficulty uh, that everybody in the Pittsburgh chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America were going to have in picking team MVP and pitcher of the year. And here on back-to-back nights, Jacob Stallings goes and reminds everybody that he was, in fact, the team MVP. Best defensive catcher in the National League, arguably the best defensive catcher in the majors. Also hitting into the 260 range with a little bit of pop, some good clutch to him. Richard Rodriguez has emerged as a pretty dynamic reliever. Uh, He's got stuff that plays in addition to his ability to locate pound low in the zone And then the way he ended this game, where he's working down, he's working down, he'll come in way up high, but then strike three went right down the pipe. I mean, lower half, but 95 right down the pipe, where he just said, dude, try to hit this. You absolutely can't. Um, That's that's a relief pitcher who's, who's finding his way. Uh, and he's been the Pirates' best pitcher, whether it's relief or starter. And yeah, this is where you insert obligatory punchlines that you know everybody else was terrible and all that other stuff. But I'm not ready to bury, you know, Stallings or Rodriguez for being uh, the best of a lot that was mostly terrible because they 
themselves individually had good seasons. And to me, that's always worth uh, some level of praise uh, within context. Is is Rich Rod going to be the future of the organization? I don't know. Is he the closer in 2021? I don't know. Keone Kella sure won't be back. Um, Kyle Crick's got a long way to go to reestablish some faith in his ability to stay healthy, never mind work the back end of the pen. But between Rodriguez, Chris Stratton, Jeff Hartlieb, Nick Turley, Sam Howard at times, the Pirates have shown themselves to have a surprisingly effective bullpen for roughly five to six weeks now. Uh, And the numbers will bear that out. And these are, in most cases, guys who've had to log multiple innings because, as you know, until Stephen Brault came along, nobody was pitching past the fourth or fifth inning, right? So it's been a pretty good pen. It's been a terrible year, but it's been a pretty good pen. And the best of them has been Richard Rodriguez, the Pirates Pitcher of the Year. Thanks so much for listening to this. Make sure you tune in for our Steelers podcast with Chris Carter and Dale Lawley and our Pirates podcast with Alex Stump and Noah Hiles. I am going to the ballpark tonight. Last time. Mm-hmm.